Hello, and welcome to Weekly Monotony, the official podcast of the entertainment blog DailyMonotony.com. Podcasting, only better. My name is Dustin Anglin. And returning, I suppose, I guess I can introduce myself at this point. I've I've earned that privilege, perhaps. Yes, you have. (laughs) Uh, I am Todd Anglin, your returning guest host, here to bring a daily dose of, I suppose, the village idiot to an otherwise intelligent podcast. (laughs) Well, let's, let's, let's finally build up front for, for Mr. Todd Anglin. Cool. Uh, so this week, we're doing a double feature since we missed last week. So we're going to review Surrogates and The Informant. But first, as always, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching in the past few weeks of media consumption and also things we've been playing, because we also include video games in this podcast, even though we don't ever officially seem to review video games. Todd, uh, what about you? Have you been uh, playing anything, or uh, have you seen anything in the past few weeks that you want to talk about? I have been playing the game of work, so that excludes <laughs> all forms of actual entertainment that would be otherwise considered worth describing. Uh, I've purchased a few things and haven't played them, so I can't bring much to the gaming news. The only other kind of entertainment I've been consuming in the last few weeks is TV, because as everybody's probably aware, we're into the fall TV spin-up, all the new shows getting started, and I've got my DVRs, plural, burning these shows, and I'm trying to uh, watch all the new ones that come out and get a sense if I'm going to track them or not. There's a lot of great shows, and I think that... Probably, I imagine, oh, great host, we'll discuss uh, some of these things in an upcoming podcast, but I'll save my, my comments for that time, but definitely a lot of good TV out there, but not a lot of gaming news for me sure. this time So around. is there any of any of the new stuff that you're, you've been watching or any of the premieres you've seen, is there any that you would recommend that people uh, look out for or get into? I would put, if, if it makes any sense to this audience, I would put a plus one on Fringe, if you were not into it last year, or maybe you missed it, or you you, were, you didn't like the way it started last year, watch the end of last year, and then start watching this year. To me, Fringe is setting up to be the replacement for Lost. I think, for me, it's it's it, it, the story arc it's on now easily can take it that direction if they keep it up. Uh, the other premiere I've seen of a new show, Flash Forward, I'm not spoiling anything here, but for me, major risk of not making it past week three on my DVR. Interesting. Uh, not really impressed with the the way it's written and even the way they've cast it in some ways. To me, it feels like ABC's making a show, definitely trying to get the lost crowd, but almost going too far by saying, hey, hey, look, there's mysteries. Look, there's <laughs> mysteries. Go to our website. There's mysteries. Uh, and I don't think that's going to appeal to the, the lost crowd that liked kind of having to do the mental math of, oh, you know, oh, oh. So, and, so it, you know, they're... it doesn't really spawn discussion, but just kind of like throws it in your fact. Like, like here's your talking points for your next discussion with your geek friends. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I, I feel like, at least from the premiere, and all I've seen so far is the premiere, I'll, I'll put that out there, uh, is that it feels like they're trying too hard. You know, it's like, right. let it, it should occur naturally. Lost's, the appeal of Lost was that the mystery unraveled naturally. Right. People naturally dug into the things that were that were odd that didn't make sense well, especially because lost was the so flash forward premiere at least they highlighted everything that was odd right in the, in the commercial breaks they're like go to abc.com and you can find out more about <laughs> this mystery it's right like, no, i mean i mean i mean one of the great things about lost is if when you first start watching lost it's there's so much like what the hell is going on i've what what it's like it's they they so they kind of throw so much at you and they put you in a situation where you're 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 lost to, to you know to not right. put a pun in there, but and that makes it intriguing because your your interest is peaked and like 
you want to know what's going on. Whereas, you know, if a show comes out and it's like, it's like, here's mystery number one and here's mystery number two and what's behind door number three. It's like, okay, I'm not, my interest is not that peak because I know you're going to tell me eventually. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's where I feel like flash forward is at the premiere point. And, and I, I can see ABC cause I hear it lost sometimes criticized from a, from the, I, I don't know if you want to call it the masses or, or the idiots, but <laughs> you know, people often saying, you know, who gets lost? You know, I just, you know, got got a concussion, and now I finally understand Lost. It's like, okay, you know, right. uh, maybe there is a large audience out there where Lost is just, just too, complicated. too complicated. I mean, right. I'd hate to say that, but it's kind of like Myst. You know, Myst was sure. a great game if you could, if you could intellectually process it. Get the puzzles, it. right. Yeah, it, was, it made you work at it, sure. and the working at it is what made it stimulating, what made you want to come back. So I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Flash Forward will be an unfortunate hit, and it'll be a little bit easier for the masses to consume, but if it is, I think it won't capture that lost spirit and thus the lost audience that they covet. And I really think that Fringe is on the right story arc to uh, bring in that audience. Not to mention which, in case anybody forgot, Fringe is the is the only show of these follow-up shows that is being written and created right. by J.J. Abrams. Right. So, you know, for whatever that's worth, <laughs> he seems to bring success to a lot of the projects. Maybe, maybe there's a trend at. there. Who knows? So do you think that someone could, could jump into Fringe without having to have seen all of the previous Fringe at this point? No. I, I think you need to see at least the last two or three episodes from... Uh, season one before you start season two. I think you're right. if you jump in without that, you're gonna they're gonna be there's a lot a bit of exposition in the uh, season premiere of this season trying to catch up a bit on what happened last season. So they'll, they'll try to catch you up, sure. but you're not gonna have the depth of understanding of sort of where we're at in the story and why we've got this very impressive story arc. Unless at the very least, you have to watch the season finale of season one. That sets up. And I think it frankly is a to be continued when we come into season two. So it's um, definitely don't do you, start with season two. Do you know if, if, not if they've, it all. I know one of the things that Lost has done to try to help people catch up is they've done these like, here's what's happened so far kind of episodes. Do, do you know if Fringe has done anything like that? To sort of like I don't think they've had to go to that degree so far, though I think they did. I think, and I'd have to go rewatch it. I think the season premiere of Fringe did do a short two or three minute at the beginning of the premiere like here's what happened at the end of last season and right. then dropped us into the the opener of of this season i think it was sort of a quick recap not a dedicated show sure. right, right. um right. i can see the show becoming you know kind of hitting that stride if if it keeps building on like this mm -hmm. seasons into the future um but but without going into too much detail so we can move move past this and save it for for a real tv dedicated talk I know one of your criticisms of Fringe from last year was that it was a, a bad guy of the week show. You know, right. every week it was a new monster, and the doctor mysteriously at the last second came up with right, the cure, right. kind of like House, only with sci-fi. Sure, right. um, but at the end of last season, they they were kind of developing it throughout the season. It was just spotty. It was like every now and then you got a glimmer of a story arc. You're sure. like, oh, a story arc. You know, come back, <laughs> and it would disappear. And then at the end of last season, the story arc started to come back and back, and it built, and we actually. We're going somewhere with the story arc. You're like, oh, great. Now we have more of a story episode to episode. Right. And with the start of season two, that story arc is continued. And so far, it's a part of every episode they've aired this season. So it looks like we're getting much more. I mean, there's still a monster that kind of does play in week sure. to week. At least that seems like how they're going to stretch out the content. But there's clearly now a story arc that is running throughout each episode. And, and it gets 
elaborated on and leaves very, very compelling cliffhangers because you now have this uh, this growing arc. And so I don't know. It's To me, I think this is how they can start building up and making it more Lost-like, where you have more of these mysteries that don't get solved right away. Right, and, and, sort of an uh, overarching story to tie everything together. Exactly. Something more than just week-to-week cliffhangers. Right. Well, cool. It sounds like uh, Fringe is definitely something that something I need to get back into, so I'll, I'll have to try to check it out. Definitely. Watch the if you do anything, watch the season finale, season premiere, and I I think that those two episodes will hook you on the series if you're a fan of of Lost or the genre. Sweet. Cool. Well, uh, I have watched quite a few stuff, but not a whole lot worth talking about. So I'm just going to talk about what I play because I actually have played some really big and current video games. Uh, first of all, Halo Three ODST, which is the next official Halo game by Bungie Studios came out last week and uh, uh, I must admit I really found myself enjoying it more than I thought. I think there are a lot of people who kind of felt I mean there's definitely been a lot of people who after Halo 2 felt a little burned and even after Halo 3 felt even more burned and kind of gotten tired of the series but uh, I'll admit to kind of that like I really loved Halo 2 because I went back and played through it so much and did the whole legendary thing and co-op thing and actually made the game a whole lot more fun than the first time I played it through. Uh, but Halo 3 was, like, a little meh to me. Like, I played it through once and never revisited it again. Uh, but still, I felt like it had been a long enough time since a Halo game had been out that I wanted to play this new game, and it was cheap for me since I worked for Microsoft. <laughs> so, uh, pick- How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I picked up Halo 3 ODST, and I really, really did enjoy it. Uh so here's here's my kind of brief consensus on it. I don't think this is going to bring back any person who ever said they didn't like the Halo games because it's very much at its core more Halo 3. It's built on the same Halo 3 engine. It's not it's more of an expansion or a parallel game to Halo 3 than it is a new game. In fact, their next game, the one they're they're doing all the work for in the new engine is going to be uh, Halo Reach, which they also announced at the same time uh, that they showed Halo 3 ODST. Uh, but the the reason why this game really did, I think, work for me is, uh, they do this, they do this, uh, really cool thing where rather than it being a bunch of linear levels that you play through, you, you sort of start off as this, this ODST character. So you're not Master Chief, you're, you're finally not like the uber hero guy, though you play as an orbital drop shock trooper, which is, they're supposed to be like the most badass people in the, in the sort of space marine unit that aren't these genetically enhanced Spartans, which is Master Chief. Uh, so you play as one of those guys. You play as a, a rookie who uh, drops into the city of New Mombasa, which, you know, there's a whole storyline going through Halo 2, and, and that's it's kind of hard to explain. But just just imagine you drop into a city that's basically been taken over by the Alien Covenant. And uh, what they do is they kind of set up a sort of mystery story, and it's all done with this really cool noir, like film noir setting. So... Uh, anytime you're in this this sort of uh, this new Mombasa world, it's all open world. You can choose how you want to walk through it. You can choose the path you want to take. You can choose to engage in fights if you want to, and if not, you can kind of sneak around and do stuff. But it's it's all done in this kind of dark uh, dark setting with like you know red lights, like you'd imagine in a noir film. And it even has the music they have during these sequences are uh, very like film noir kind of music. So uh, they. So you're telling me this is like. 
This is like Halo meets Max Payne. It actually has sort of a Max Payne feel. I won't I won't go that far, but it does sort of have a Max Payne influence to it. Like so, like the music they play is like you know it's like piano music and like sort of like you know soft uh, tenor saxophone and stuff like that. It's actually very, <laughs> very, uh, very film noir. And I I have to admit I love it. Like going from like what the Halo franchise has been like choosing to put it in this. This you know very is there first person narration. There is. So I saw him there. There there is no first person na- narration, but you could almost imagine like that there could be. A, uh, I think it actually could have been fun if they had done that. But by the way, so that so that's that's a really cool component to it, and also the fact that it's it's open world and you don't have to, you don't have to necessarily follow any particular linear path. So you're kind of walking through this world, and as you walk through this world, you find you find things like a detective which then throw you into these flashback moments where you play a much more traditional Halo 3, you know, bright sunny day action thing and uh they're all basically you play as other members in your squads during this during this uh flashback and you figure out what happened to them during the drop uh when you got separated from them. And those those levels are are very much Halo 3 stuff. If you liked Halo 3, I think you're going to feel about the same. I do kind of like the fact that they they kind of theme those things so as as you find a particular clue and you play this flashback, the levels are very much like, well, this is the level where you get to drive the tank, and it's a tank level, and this is the level where you get to drive the warthog. It's the warthog level. This is the level where you get to be the sniper, and it's the sniper level. So I kind of like the fact that each of these flashback levels has sort of a specific theme that you go about doing, and it's not just you know a, a typical ho-hem linear Halo 3 level. So that's pretty cool. And then to top that off, the, the thing that really made this game like even more enjoyable for me is that not only is the story, I think, much more coherent than it was in Halo 2 and Halo 3, like, it's a very, you know, tight story. It's not the main story of Halo 3. It's very much more like a story of these these four tight-knit people who got separated when they, they dropped into this city. Uh, but the cool thing is that all the characters, like, all the voices for these characters are the voices from people from the uh, the best TV sci-fi show ever made, Firefly. So uh, you have Nathan Fillion, you have uh, Adam Baldwin and uh, Alan Tudyk playing the other the other uh, ODST troopers in in your squad, and for me, you know, as a huge huge fan of Firefly, this just like sent me over the edge because like they're essentially these the the uh, Firefly voice actors are playing their Firefly characters from Firefly only in Halo, so it it really does end up being like you're playing a Firefly game somehow that got crossed over with Halo. Which is awesome, and for any geek who loves Firefly, I think that'll just make this game that much more enjoyable to you. And uh, Todd, I I don't know if you've seen Firefly or not, so it may not land quite as much on you. But uh, if you're a Firefly fan, negative. If you're a Firefly fan, you gotta you gotta gotta play this. It's it's a it's a pretty good game. I've heard it promoted like the best thing since Star Trek, but I've yet to to find time to. You basically can't be considered a true geek till you've watched Firefly. I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> I'm happy to wear that hat. <laughs> so anyway, uh, overall, Halo Three ODST, I think, I think is is good. Like I felt felt like I got about the same amount of gameplay out of it as I got from Halo 3's multiplayer or Halo Three's uh, sing- single player. They have a new multiplayer mode. I haven't gotten a chance to play it, but uh, overall, good game. I think I think worth the price, even though it's a full price game. So, uh, so that's Halo Three ODST. The other game that I played is the Beatles Rock Band. Which is kind of sad because I got it after you did, Todd. But uh, but uh, I did manage to play it before. <laughs> yeah, you did. so mine's still in the plastic, <laughs> but it'll come out one of these days. <laughs> so so here's my thing with the Beatles Rock Band. Uh, and I actually wrote a big review of this up on DailyMonotony.com. You can go read and it goes far more in depth. 
but this is what I this is what I would say. It's very much a tribute game to the Beatles. It's not a new rock band game in any sense of the word new. It really is. Imagine a bunch of people who worked on rock band who love the Beatles just made this awesome tribute to the band the Beatles, and that's what you get with the Beatles rock band. And because of that, I kind of distill it. I sort of distill my review into to how like the you'll like this game based on how much you like the Beatles. So like if you're a huge fan of the Beatles, you're going to love this game even if you don't like the rock band games, you'll absolutely love this game because it's the the remastered stereo tracks, it's a bunch of like trivia and like film footage and photos. There's like a bunch of new custom animations for the like the Beatles songs like uh, Yellow Submarine and uh Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Land. It it's it's really is an awesome Beatles tribute. So if you love it, you need to go out and this get this game. I think this will be a chance for like Beatles fans who've never been into Rock Band to get into what Rock Band is. Uh, secondly, if if you just kind of like the Beatles or you want to sort of know more about the Beatles, which was in my camp, like I've always been a casual Beatles fan. I I actually named myself an opportunistic Beatles fan, which means that if there's Beatles playing, I will listen to it. If they're readily available, I will listen to it because I think their music is good. But I've never been like the guy who owns the albums and like knows all the songs. So for me, like, I saw this as a chance to sort of get to know the Beatles a bit better. And because of that, like, I really, really like this game because you start to realize, like, how awesome the Beatles music is when you get to sit there and play through their music, like, actively listen to it and sort of be part of that performance. So uh, so I definitely, if you're, if you're casual or looking to like the Beatles more, this, I think, is, like, rather than buy the albums, like, try this. I think this is far much better than, like, sitting on your bed listening to Beatles music because you're participating in the music, uh, which I think is just an awesome experience. But if you don't like the Beatles or you know you don't care for the Beatles or you just don't really know what you think of the Beatles, I don't think there's any reason to buy this game because this game, this game does not advance the Rock Band series at all. Like, there's nothing technically new to it. There's nothing... There's actually a lot let, taken away but from let, it. But let's, let's interject some realism here. Since the original Guitar Hero, what has really advanced the music genre game? Sure, we've added drums and peripherals, but sure. it's still the basic experience of lines go by, you hit one of four well, think, or five colors. Well, I think what, and what a lot of some of the other either plays or a, some of the other games, you know, add stuff like now you can start to write your own music, you can customize your characters and your band, you can play online. So if you don't have four people in the room to play, you can play with other people online if you want to do the full band experience. Uh, the Beatles, sure. the Beatles has some of that stuff, but it actually deprecates some of those features. Like you can't customize your characters because, like, it's the Beatles, you know, images which are practically trademarked themselves. Uh, there, there's a whole lot of things you just like can't do. There, you actually can't take these songs out of the Beatles rock band and put them in normal rock band, which I think is going to be a big detractor for a lot of people because I can see a lot of people saying, "Oh, well, I like this song from the Beatles and that song from the Beatles. I want to pull it into rock band." Sorry, you can't do that. You can only play Beatles songs in the context of the Beatles rock band, which kind of sucks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but beyond that, this is not doing anything new. This is not as, this is not doing like this the new kind of stuff that the next Guitar Hero game is doing. Like Guitar Heroes added added this mode where you can basically run it like a boombox or karaoke in the background, and people can jump in and play when they want and jump out, and the music still plays. So it's almost like this interactive like stereo set list thing 
Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of cool yeah. stuff that's being innovated in the newer titles. Beatles Rock Band does none of that innovation, and what it replaces with innovation, it replaces with just a a heartfelt tribute to the band The Beatles. Which, if that's I almost I almost have to say though, I prefer the idea of a game that has richer content, <laughs> almost you know more of tribute, like sure. they've done with The Beatles and, and the photos and the and the videos and the right. behind the scenes and the the original content even generated for this. Uh, more so than I enjoy the small iteration. I mean, to me, the guitar, and I, I don't know how you don't don't feel the same way, but Guitar Hero and Rock Band are are almost like the Madden of 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 music games. I mean, every year they add a new feature like stadium excitement, sure, sure. Uh, in, in the form of you know something like you know jump in, jump out. Song that's playing. I mean, honestly, how how lame have we gotten where we actually the song will play and it'll even play without us playing? I, I just kind of. Well, I mean, I mean, I understand. I understand the appeal for a party. Don't, don't get I mean, me wrong. And you have to, you have to understand that you the know features aren't really significant innovation. They're just you know they're Madden features. They're features know. added so you can slap a new title on it and, and sell another. Well, I mean, you have to imagine. You have, uh, you have to understand that. I mean, like Rock Band and Guitar Hero have really become party games, and a lot of the new features they're adding are to make it far more accessible in a party setting. So the thing where like it plays in the background and as people want to jump in, they can jump in. Uh, the feature that like you can have, you know, any setup in like the next guitar hero, you can have any setup you want. So if you want to have two people playing drums, you can have two people playing drums. If you want to have everyone playing guitar, you can have everyone playing guitar. If you want to have everyone singing or two people singing, you can have two people singing. It's it's there yeah, there's a lot and, of stuff that's And I give that's... you credit that these are these are in fact improvements for sure. that particular use of the game but I, I it's a far cry for me from being you know new game title word <sighs> yeah you have to somehow I'm, well I mean I that that just... and they also bundle it with what like 90 new songs so sure I mean that's and therein lies I suppose what you're paying and that's for basically, is the that's basically what you end up paying for you paying up for 90 new songs and some new features along which is another I reason... will say one of the things the Beatles okay, the Beatles did that you criticized rock band for in the past um is all of the songs on the Beatles Rock Band are available for play from the moment you put the game in. You don't have to unlock songs to be able to play them, uh, something that I know sometimes gets criticized in, in Rock Band and Guitar Hero, that certain songs you have to play right. through the single player to unlock no, I, to, be, I, to be playable. I completely agree with that. I think if you pay for songs and you don't want to like, you don't want to have to perform well to get the songs you want to play, I think that's the right way to do it. So, yeah, I think the Beatles Rock Band does that correctly. That said, like innovation by your standards. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's that's not innovation. Like the quick play thing has been available in Rock Band games and Guitar Hero games for a while. So, either way, okay. I I think this. I mean, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. Beatles Rock Band final final critique on this from somebody who's played it. I bought it sight unseen, so sure. that should tell you that my critique will probably be positive, <laughs> just by virtue of the content and what I gathered from yeah. the the run up to the game being put out there just a matter of finding time to enjoy it right your experience having played it uh definitely it's an awesome game i i sat through i played through it in about three hours because there's only there's only 45 beatles songs in here which is kind of sad like you there's so many beatles songs you sort of wish they had added more content uh but even even with that and playing through it in three hours just playing through every single song which is something i've never done with a rock band game before i just i had a blast with it and because I'm sort of a casual Beatles fan, and like there's so many songs in here, I didn't realize were Beatles songs. Like, I, I just had it. I had a blast with it. It's 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 fun. You're gonna come out of this game just loving the Beatles even more, and like wanting to go out and buy like the new the new Beatles anthology. Uh, uh, I think this. I think it's a great game. But then again, 
you have to have you have to have either a previous like for the Beatles or an interest in liking the Beatles. If you don't have that, I don't think this game is is at all worth buying just as a just as a rock band improvement or seeing what rock band has done new because it does nothing new. Cool. Fair enough. Uh, well, with that, let's go ahead and move into our movie reviews for this week, which of course are the informant and surrogates. And since, Todd, I know you only got a chance to see the surrogates, let's go ahead and start off with the informant so we can get that out of the way. What I'm about to tell you, it involves something very large. Everyone in this country is a victim of corporate crime by the time they finish breakfast. Yes. Things are going on I don't approve of. I mean, I feel real bad about that. <laughs> Corn goes in one end and profit comes out the other. Weird, right? It's not just lysine, it's citric, it's gluconate. There was a guy who left the company because he wouldn't do it, he was forced out. The gluconate guy, he's out of a job. Would you be willing to wear a wire? We need your help. 7.30 a.m., I am approaching the entrance to the office. Good morning, Liz Taylor, secretary. You don't really need to narrate the tapes for right. us when you're Absolutely. making them. Just... Not a problem. Okay, so The Informants uh, is a film by Steven Soderbergh, which many people probably heard his name because he's done the movies uh, Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen. He's done all that group of films. Uh, the movie stars Matt Damon, which is obviously he's worked with Soderbergh before in the Ocean's movies. Uh, and also sort of a, a weird cadre of other random cameo people that you may have seen before. Uh, it's based on a book by a New York Times investigative reporter about this character called Mike Whitaker, who is essentially this weird, quirky character who works for a, a chemical company, a food chemicals company, who basically, uh, he's, he's just a weird character who ends up ratting out the this company for doing uh, price control manipulation on uh, the uh, chemicals market, specifically for this uh, amino acid called lysine. Uh, but, I mean, that's, you know, that in itself is not a interesting story. Uh, what's really interesting is this, the character, Mark Whitaker, is essentially this wacky goofball who kind of seems to live in his own world the entire time, and that's that's really what you end up with, it, which is a, a kind of quirky comedy or quirky character-based comedy. And we get to see Matt Damon try to try to uh, invent an interesting character around Mark Whitaker. Uh, so overall, I mean, this is, this is definitely billed as a comedy. Uh, I think I've actually seen it billed as a dark comedy because it is a little depressing at certain points. Uh, but overall, I don't know. It's it's hard to say whether this movie was was good or not because basically it starts out the first half of this film uh, as you're introduced to this quirky character. I mean, you definitely. Definitely, he's definitely weird and he's odd, but he's not super funny. And you'll spend like the first half of this film just saying, "Wow, this guy's this guy's a little weird." Like, you you see him do a lot of stuff where Matt Damon will basically be inner monologuing, and they we get to hear his inner monologue where it's like these random these random threads of thought going from one thing to another, almost like Family Guy style. It's it's really it's kind of bizarre, and uh, which some of that stuff is kind of funny, but. Meh. They basically do this whole build-up where he, you, you think he's going to get involved in this big lie that he's, he's generated and that he's trying to keep going until eventually you find out, oh, he was lying about one particular thing, but no, he was actually true about this other scandal thing. And eventually uh, the FBI get involved with this price-fixing scandal and it becomes him and the FBI trying to, uh, 
or him being this sort of weird informant on this company to the FBI and the sort of weird goofy things that happen because of that. Uh, it, I feel like it take, this movie takes a long time to get to a point where it, it gets funny because of that because it really spends a lot of time in weird exposition, a lot of time trying to build up this character. And the character, you know, even though his quirkiness kind of stays the same the entire film, he only ever really gets funny toward the end of the film when you start to realize that this guy is practically insane. The guy has has basically weaved this lie on top of the lies he's already been giving to you, and you eventually get to the point where he's, you know, flabbergasting the FBI with all these things that he is, uh, that he's actually been doing. It actually turns out uh, toward the end... Well, actually, uh, actually yeah, I won't spoil any of this stuff for you, because if you know what's coming, it's actually not quite as funny. Uh, but this movie, I think, really does kind of pay off to the end, because you start to see the craziness of his character. And Matt Damon plays this sort of... Uh, plays this kind of naive and yet ridiculously uh almost almost like like harmlessly sinister character if if that makes sense he's essentially a guy who's been doing a lot of bad stuff that you could not imagine this guy had been doing all this bad stuff during this time and uh that's where this film becomes funny is there's a whole lot of like what the heck moments as you get to the end of this uh of this movie but, uh, yeah, beyond that, kind of a mediocre film. Uh, definitely, I don't think this is a film that you should rush out and go see in theaters. Uh, this is probably better left for a Rent or Netflix. Uh, but worth seeing for the interesting character performance by Matt Damon, and because I think it does... I think by the end of this film, you will be laughing, and the the crowd in my theater by the end of this film was laughing. So so I think it's it's worth worth watching but casually not something that you should rush out and see most impressive thing to me about this film <laughs> even without seeing it is was matt damon's commitment to gaining what 20 or 30 pounds yeah, think, just to play the role which yeah. was crazy to see him in that sort of average frankly average overweight middle-aged sure. american and, look and he does which and he, is just stunning when you see it, it's like wow you don't realize how much that changes somebody's look, and it kind of makes you look in the mirror and go, oh. <laughs> it's like, crap. <laughs> I hope I that's see. not me. <laughs> now I get it. Yeah, no, he, yeah. Matt Damon does, I think, a good job of really living out this character. Uh, and you, you'll, you'll totally believe him as the character by the end of the film. You won't see it as Matt Damon playing a character. You'll see it as a this wacky, goofy character. So, uh, so Matt Damon does a good job for that. But uh, unfortunately, it, again, I just feel like this movie takes takes half of the film to really build up and pay off. So uh, that might, some people might find that a little hard to, uh, hard to swallow. But yeah, that is uh, The Informant, uh, Steven Soderbergh's new comedy. Uh, the interesting thing though, is there is a lot of, there are a lot of uh, interesting co- cameos in this film, uh, including uh, sort of a, a name who's been uh, more interesting of recent because he's finally moved over from the soup into narrative film and tv and that's uh joel McHale actually plays one of the one of the uh, fbi agents who's investigating this firm and uh he plays with the with his partner scott bakula which anyone who's a star trek fan will remember uh scott bakula from the star trek enterprise series he was played the captain in that he also uh, he played in quantum leap if anyone is a really old school sci-fi fan but uh that 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 duo in itself is just sort of the main fbi duo it was actually pretty funny Though only because Joe McHale spends the entire time pulling like 
the most ridiculous flabbergasted faces. And Joe McHale does like the you know the the raised eyebrow face better than I think any man in the world does. So so I uh, worth worth it to, <laughs> to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot that he was in that. I remember he was promoting that on the soup for a while, and that was one of the reasons I was originally interested in seeing it. But, right. uh, but good to hear his role was played well. Yeah, I I would actually, you know, I would if I had to compare this to another film that people may have seen. I think it's kind of, sort of in the vein of a uh, burn after reading. So it's kind of like that funny. It's like uh, okay. there's there's a couple moments that are that are kind oh, of but funny. Did, but... but if we rewind the podcast, sure. And I I think this got cut on tape. Didn't I say that this movie looked like it could very well feel like Burn After Reading just based on the plot alone? You know what? I think I think you might have. Uh, we'll see. It if sounds familiar. Now we'll see if I can't it. find that in the archive and and play it right here, or not if it doesn't exist. In which case, you'll just hear a really <laughs> just, awkward silence. <laughs> just in case. But I said that from the very beginning that this movie had that whole sort of sense of the idiot informants, sure. you know, who really don't really know what they're. Caught up in a bigger scene. Clearly, this movie has a bit of a different twist on it, right. but um, almost, you know, becomes it's hard to find the, the humor in it. And I think Burn After Reading, that was my feeling after watching that is, sure. you know, I enjoyed watching Brad Pitt's character role in that movie, which is ironic that Matt Damon, who also uh, stars with Brad Pitt in the Oceans movies, right, right. comes and plays an outrageous character here. Um, and maybe both movies just don't quite sing without a better chemistry I think, or cast. I actually, them. I actually think this movie pays off a little bit better than. Than Burn After Reading did because Burn After Reading had the whole. I mean, the Coen Brothers who made that film are are renowned for their very dark endings and bizarre endings to films. Uh, so I felt the Coens were just, you know, they're not great at doing truly funny films. Whereas I feel like, you know, Soderbergh, you know, I actually I love his Ocean's Eleven. I really like the style and even the comedy he does in there. And I actually think you get a bit more proper comedy at the end of The Informant than you would at a film like Burn After Reading. But it still felt about the same to me where it's like, it's like 70% of the film you will might you might be like smiling but not laughing and then like 30% you'll be chuckling or laughing out loud. So, I mean, take that for what it is. It's a quirky person comedy. This is not The Hangover. This is not a, this is not a laugh out loud comedy. So, that cool. is The Informant. So with that, let's go ahead and move on to the film that we both saw, which is the science fiction film starring Bruce Willis called Surrogates. Robotic human surrogates combine the durability of a machine with the grace and beauty of the human body. With most people living their lives through their surrogate selves, our world has become a safer place. Take a seat in your STEM chair. And just with the power of your mind, you can control your surrogate and send it out into the real world. You can live your life without limitations. You see what they see. Feel what they feel. And become anyone you want to be from the comfort and safety of your own home. You can finally live the life you've always dreamt of without any risk or danger to yourself. We are confronted with an unprecedented situation. Two people have died while connected to their surrogates. I think we may actually have a homicide here. First one in 15 years. The public cannot be allowed to get the idea that using a surrogate can be fatal. Especially if it's true. 
Cool. Uh, so the circuits, uh, directed by Jonathan Mostow, which uh, you may have seen some of his films. He did uh, U five seven one. He did the third Terminator film, uh, which I believe was uh, was Rise of the Machines or something like that. Uh, the yeah. less liked Terminator film, <laughs> except maybe Salvation is less liked. I actually think I like Salvation less than T three. That aside, uh, I, I will put my vote there since I didn't even see it after not after hearing your v- review on it. <laughs> uh, that 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 aside, uh, it's based on a a very popular indie comic uh, of the same name by Robert Venditti. Uh, the comic itself is a very noir detective story. The entire story itself revolves about basically uh, in the future, like the near future, people have made uh, robots that they can connect through through this sort of wireless signal, and they can live out their lives through these robots. And so no one ever has to worry about. You know, crime. No one ever has to worry about it. Uh, you know, getting hurt or you know, getting hurt at work. You know, if you're a policeman, you don't have to worry about dying. You can go party and do whatever you want to your body because it's a robot body. And everyone lives in basically these little matrix kind of chairs, and they they plug in to their alternate persona, which is called a surrogate. And uh, in this world, basically, uh, for the first time ever, we find out that uh, surrogate is attacked by something or someone. And the operators of the surrogates actually end up dying, which is sort of, you know, completely opposite to the point of the surrogate. It's supposed to be that if you get attacked, you you cannot die because it's a robot. And then it becomes a detective so story. So it's, it's not like the Matrix in that way. That's, that is a deviation from the Matrix idea, where the Matrix painted the idea that if, if it happens in yep. your mind, it happens to your body. This yep. movie doesn't make that connection. Yeah, and, this, and this, well, this movie basically tries to claim that that can happen, but that's when the sort of whodunit detective mystery starts is when these people, these people get killed in their surrogates and then they actually die in the, their real bodies. And now, now we have this, this big mystery film, and uh, of course it stars Bruce Willis, and we get to see, because of course the surrogates, you know, you can make them look as good as whatever you want, we get to see sort of the, the old, bald... Uh, version of Bruce Willis and his actual human character, and then of course his surrogate is this kind of airbrushed, younger-looking surrogate for Bruce Willis. Though not entirely young-looking, <laughs> but uh, uh, Todd, what did you think of Surrogates? Uh, the movie's interesting. I, I I definitely will give it just interesting marks. It's nothing spectacular. You're not going to walk away with this with any. Relations. Right. Um, you'll be entertained. It, it's 88 minutes. It's less than an hour and a half, it's so it's short, yeah. it's short and quick, and that kind of works to its advantage. You know, it doesn't draw out any <laughs> long subplots. You know, you don't have to deal with any kind of uh, forks about some romantic, you know, subline or, sure. or you know, I've got to get over addiction. You know, one of, one of the gripes I have as a tangent with something like uh, like Minority Report or um, some of the Steven Spielberg movies is they've got great scenes but you have to get through a lot of stuff that you don't care about to get there sure uh this movie foregoes that focuses on the main plot and keeps it pretty concise mm-hmm. i actually enjoyed the movie in the regard that the future that they paint here isn't that fantastic sure in other words a lot of the technology that they promote as being the future these this idea of this robot that looks talks acts like a human has more human power uh, more power than an average human being can be sure. replaced. It's not that fantastic. There are actually a number of innovations that would are just nowhere on the radar that it would take to get to this point. Sure. Right. But there are a lot of innovations right on the cusp that you could observe now that you could see coming together to paint this kind of futuristic world. Yep. Um, you know, in the next 
20, 30 years. Uh, in fact, a little bit later, I'll, I'll, I want to create a side tangent on the technologies that are most fantastic here. But frankly, the, the idea of robots that look like humans and can function like humans is not that crazy. And so to me, it was kind of an interesting, oh, that might be what the world's like. And it does kind of paint that picture of, ah, I see, you know, this is really an interesting problem right. uh, that the human race could face. And frankly, as I thought about it more, take the robots out of it. This is almost a problem that we're facing anyway with things like text messaging and, and online, online communities. communities, World of Warcraft, Second Life. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the actual robots out in the world, you know, interacting with each other, but we are increasingly less interacting face-to-face -face with other humans and more through games and online things and text messages. Right. You know, we're, we are creating that digital interface between human interaction. So, it's, it, I don't know, it's an interesting, if anything, take on how we are increasingly communicating less directly as human to human. And as a movie, it's just kind of mildly entertaining and short and sweet. So yep. it gets a just kind of, all right, you know, it's not a bad movie for me. Right. Uh, I think I basically agree with you, but I definitely did not like this film as I think he, as much as you did. Uh, I think this is a, a mediocre film at best, and at worst, it's actually just kind of boring and predictable. Uh I don't know. I I found the biggest like the the effects of this film are well done. the The story itself is interesting. It's a very you know a very classic kind of detective story. A who done it? Uh, you know, there's some something going around murdering people, and there's a detective trying to figure out who's murdering them. Murdering these people. They set up a bunch of plausible people who could be at the beginning of the film, and you sort of try to figure out who the who done it is by the end of the film. And that's all. That's you know that's generally a good you know enjoyable framework. The problem is I feel like. All the acting in this film is just utter trash, and I never found myself liking any character. And I feel like in any film, if you never if you never get to the point where you actually like or you're rooting for a character, it's it's hard to be stay interested or care at all. So, uh, like I felt Bruce Willis's character was was you know mute. It was not you know it was much. Uh, I think Bruce Willis has always had this weird characteristic of kind of being a bit of a uh, softer spoken person. And uh, that's worked in some of his films, like you know, like in, in M Night Shyamalan film. I think it works really well. But he really didn't have any of his diehard Bruce Willis self in this. And I well, he he gets by in Die Hard because he has loudmouth uh, side, you know, uh, co-stars helping prop up his his um, quietness. Well, yeah, so in, that, in the most recent one, but, but even like his his old '80s action style movie and I felt like this movie was a bit more 80s action than it was modern science fiction like you know he j he can have a dynamic personality if he tries to and I felt like this is very much just kind of oh, I'm quiet I'm Bruce Willis I'm not going to talk a lot I'm just going to frown most of the time and I just didn't like him and like he's the main character and if you don't like the main character like especially because there's no other character in this film to really like I just I found myself disinterested most of the time I like the because the story itself is not interesting enough and they don't pose any philosophical question that I think is interesting enough to make you interested otherwise. And, you know, you combine that with uninteresting characters that uh, I, I, in general, I, f I found this to be kind of a trashy film. Uh, maybe something that you, you go Netflix if you're really interested in it, but I, I don't, I cannot imagine I'd ever recommend someone go see this film. So. Yeah, I, I think we're definitely at, at different points out of this movie. I mean, I definitely agree it's not a great film, and the the acting certainly doesn't earn any accolades. The innovation doesn't earn any accolades. But it's not a it wasn't a trashy film by my standards. It's sure. 
risky because of the length. I'm willing to give a lot of movies a lot of credit if they don't spend waste a lot of my time with crap. I mean, and in this case, if you're not wasting my lot of time, basically you took a little bit more than a TV show. I mean, sure. 88 minutes is just a little bit longer than your average TV show, maybe two episodes of a TV show. Uh, and for the kind of special effects you get and the, you know, the moderately interesting plot line, right. it's like a really interesting uh, season premiere for some TV show. And yeah, now, is, is that worth 10 bucks in a theater? <laughs> well, maybe not. And I, I don't know that so. I necessarily paid that. But uh, if you can catch it for less than that, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting story to watch if you put it in that perspective. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, before I went and saw this film, me and my roommate has sort of been making a lot of comparisons to the trailers to the movie iRobot, which is I feel feel like it's a bit more of the same genre of it's a it's a highbrow sci-fi concept presented in a slightly lowerbrow context, a more sort of action-centric film. And... Uh, and I have to I have to admit, like if you have to put put these like next to iRobot, like I feel like iRobot, even though it's kind of a mediocre action film, is just far superior. Uh, so like if if I had to rank this like in the world of sci-fi, this would rank like a grade under iRobot, I think. No, you you're right there. I think iRobot is a, a superior movie through and through. In fact, I even think iRobot has more action in this movie. It does, for, and it's for more for interesting. Just being too. an action movie, the action was kind of far and in between. In fact, I, I can distinctly recall, I think the first 30 minutes of this or so, I was genuinely bored because yeah. we took about 35 minutes to get into the action. And right. that's at what point that it actually kind of does get to become an interesting action movie. But we do spend a lot of time just building up what is intentionally a drab, predictable, methodical world sure. that we are supposed to be in when we have these surrogates in theory <laughs> basically leveling everything out where there is no sort of ups and downs of real life. Um, you know, I, I will agree with you that one of my main criticisms was its predictability. Yep. In fact, I had really hoped at the end, uh, and perhaps you can put spoiler cam on in a minute. I had really, really hoped at the end there was going to be one more final twist that was going to kind of give me that last satisfaction of yeah. some real thinking behind it. Right. But it didn't come. So it was at the end of the day, relatively predictable, um, but I, if you're willing to take yourself away from the movie's production qualities, perhaps, or at least its acting qualities, right. uh, and, and focus a little bit more on the story that they're telling and compare it to sort of the, the, what we're dealing with right now, the cusp of what we're dealing with right now, where we are looking at human race increasingly interacting less as human to human, sure. I, I think it gives a really interesting reason to pause and reflect on how this is affecting our our existence as humans. Sure. I mean, yeah, we don't have robots walking around, and we probably won't indefinitely or certainly not in, in our lifetimes, but we are very much approaching a period where you could go quite a while, if not a long time, however those two terms differ, <laughs> um, without actually coming face-to-face -face with a human. Sure. I mean, especially if you look at the young generations that are all talking over IM and over especially text messages, um, and the way we're getting away from even phone calls as a way of interacting, right. I don't know. I mean, it's what does become of the world when the only way we know how to interact with humans is through a computer. Which, no, I, I totally agree that there's an interesting story concept in here or an interesting phil philosophical dialogue in here. It's just the reason there is an interesting philosophical dialogue is it's based off a comic book, which really does press that philosophical dialogue. And they took the comic book and they turned it into something far more far more uh i guess commercial and so there's there's the hints of the awesome story in the comic book but you lose all of the 
the really interesting way this story is told when it gets translated to film. Uh, like, like, like the comic book itself, like I said, was very much a, was a noir detective story, and I can't imagine how much better this film would this have been. This is far, far from noir. Yeah, this, is, no this noir. is actually this is actually a very bright, happy, colorful future, which is it's kind of weird because, like, I mean, it's it maybe you could commend it for the fact that it does actually give a slightly brighter looking future, whereas most most features like this tend to be kind of dark and dystopian, either you know Blade Runner dystopian or like bright whites and shiny like AI and uh, Minority Report. And so, I mean, you could actually say this is a, a slightly, you know, at least they're trying to do something that's different, but I actually didn't find that the setting that they use and the sort of like bright, colorful near future to be terribly interesting. I would actually love to see this as a sci-fi noir film, so. Yeah, I mean, the noir would have given it another level, level of depth and perhaps interest, but by keeping it more bright and more perhaps even real feeling in terms of what we understand in our present context it, of guess, being reality. I agree. It fits it a bit does more help it, it does make it feel a bit more real. I mean, it makes the story hit home a little bit more versus setting it too far into the future or too off in an abstract sure. context. Let's, so it just depends on what you were looking for in the movie. Let's go ahead and give our, our final verdicts on this, and then we maybe can discuss some of the interesting topics from this film. Uh, Todd, why don't you go ahead and say what, what's, your, what's your final uh, word on this? How would you tell people to approach it? Uh, I don't know. There's not a lot of good action movies in theaters right now that I could suggest you to go see. Otherwise, is sort of if you're just looking for action. That's true. Um, so so by that virtue and by the virtue of this being 88 minutes, I don't know. I kind of have to say it's it's worth seeing if if you don't want to go see uh, whatever else is out there, like The Informant, which just didn't get a glowing review. And uh, if if you're not interested in seeing things coming out this next weekend, like uh, Zombieland, like Whip It or or Zombieland, so. I mean, if you're standing at the box office and you see Zombieland and you see Whip It, you see Fame, you see The Informant, right. I say see Surrogates. I mean, it's not that bad. It's an interesting story. You see some special effects. Just go into it knowing what you're getting, and I, I think you can have a good time. You're just not going to go see the best movie you've ever seen. Yeah, I guess it's fair. If you're if you're looking for something in the immediate future around this time this podcast is released to see in the theaters that happens to be an action sci-fi film, it's definitely the best one out there. But, uh, uh, yeah, going into the future... Like, again, I would say this is maybe worth a rent if you're interested in it, but, like, it's not going to be a total waste of a rent, but, uh, like, if you're not, this is nef- this is not a movie you need to go see. You could you can make it through life without having seen or heard of the surrogates. In fact, I would actually say, and as, you know, as a, a, as elitist as this, this sounds, I'd say go read the comic book. It's it's a lot better. You'll get the same same interesting philosophical points. Go present, read the source material. Presented, Don't deal with the canon. <laughs> presented in, a, a, I think, a, a far better uh, package. So, <laughs> And if you're like me and you won't be buying a comic book anytime soon, go see the movie. Oh, sad, sad. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, uh, so that's that's our final words on this. Let's talk a little bit uh, about some of the interesting philosophical implications. And I would actually say some of the interesting industry implications. Like, It's kind of interesting. This year, like, you know how sometimes like movies tend to coalesce around each other and you have like the year of like the disaster films, like the year of the asteroid films, like deep impact and uh, Armageddon. You have like the year of like the, like, like there's always the, these films that are very much similar coming out around the same time. Well, I almost feel like sure. this, this year is like the year of the, the living vicariously through another thing films. Cause I mean, we have the circuits where you're living in robots. We have gamer where you're essentially doing the exact same thing, only living through other humans 
And then we have Avatar coming out later this year, where we have humans living through, like, alien bodies only in the same concept. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but this year is, like, the year for films like this. <laughs> Interesting. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, but, yeah. So, so apparently, people like to live vicariously in the year 2009. Uh, but, yeah. Some philosophy. I, well, I know you you had some points in there, so why don't you why don't you start us off with some of those interesting philosophical topics? I don't know that I have much more to add without just becoming repetitive. Sure. Just other than saying that I think this movie does hit on a very real tone that I think we as as a human race, which makes it sound more grand than it is, but just certainly as as individuals have to kind of pause and reflect on and say, you know how close are we really to reaching this point where we do almost have no direct human contact uh, for a large part of our days or our weeks or our months sure. or at some point our lives when we do conduct our lives through text messages and email and online uh, games like either World of Warcraft or Second Life or whatever it may be, it's all a way of avoiding actual human contact. Sure. I don't say that negatively as if we're trying to avoid people, but we just sort of drift to these technologies which like so i mean it's it seems more innocuous when we're going through it that way when we're not thinking about you know oh i'm plugging into a robot but it's having the same effect where we're talking to humans facade aren't really uh that don't convey the same kind of emotion that we get when we see people or talk to people face to face yeah i agree and they, de they definitely try to introduce some of that you know as the the bruce willis character uh you know, like he wants he wants to see his wife actually. You know, his wife, but his wife is sort of addicted to her her surrogate because she doesn't feel like she looks beautiful otherwise, and she doesn't feel like she's you know she has any worth without her you know her perfect looking you know manufactured surrogate body. And um, no, I think I think there's some interesting points on like on sort of human vanity and self image, especially you know the American you know drive for trying to have the perfect body and and to go out and and work out and eat right and and live up to these supermodel-looking figures. And I, th I think there is something interesting to say about this. Uh, as for the, you know, the living in a second life or the World of Warcraft and that kind of weird addiction, sadly, I think Gamer did a better job of of really talking about those points. Because whereas, whereas uh, Gamer was definitely far much more blunt with it, I actually think it works better. Like, the gamer, they gamer basically was set up in a way where you had the you know the first person shooter thing, and then you had the second life sort of thing, and you could live through other people. But they had this, they basically they played up these really weird stereotypes, these really obvious stereotypes where you have like this you know this this fat slob who lives in his basement and you know can't move without a wheelchair, playing as this you know this hot chick in this second life environment, and you know gamer. The movie Gamer is actually very a very crude film, so you know things are you know very like overtly sexual and and almost almost in a way that very much matches I think we see in stuff like Second Life, where it's it's people living anonymously through other things and acting very much very much like a human would never act if it was a real person or if it was them act, their actual selves. I feel like to that point, Gamer made an interesting point of the sort of an the thing that anonymity will do when we're living through an avatar kind of character uh, and how how terrible that can make people. And if, you know, if you look at anything of like Xbox Live and the kind of crazy swearing and and crap that goes on there when you have like, you know, eight-year-old kids using swear words that they've probably never even heard of before and, and you know, just throwing out racial slurs, it's, 
it's that kind of stuff that I feel like uh, is is already present in more of a danger in this concept of of li- living anonymously through an avatar kind of character. In which sense, I feel like even as bad as Gamer was, they they got that point home. Whereas I didn't really feel like I, that point got home in in surrogates. Like you don't see people really living that much more crazily in their surrogate selves than they than people would nowadays in their own bodies. And maybe that was just because they're trying to keep a PG-13 rating. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I to me it did, that that point was not driven home of the. You know, this is what happens when you put people into, when you let yourself live in a body that can't be harmed or in an avatar that is completely anonymous to yourself. So, Well, I think that was the point they were painting in this movie. Uh, they, they highlighted a sep- at least a couple of times that in this version of the future, your avatar, your surrogate had to match you. I mean, in other words, it, there was the, less anonymity. The, there was supposed to be regulated consistency between person and surrogate though they um, they did have the part where basically you have this guy making out with this woman and later you find out the hot woman was a guy so i mean right so clearly to... there's they acknowledge there's some amount of right. of abstraction between the reality and the the uh the surrogate or the facade you know much like we see at the online communities um but that's it i agree i don't think they really took this to what probably would be the more likely way that reality would pan out if you did have people, everybody living vicariously through something that was more or less invincible. Yeah. I do think that you would have fights much more presently, sure. much more readily. People would, would fight. They'd do things that they, it's, it's it should be less inhibited, as you'd expect. The, mean, the, the, there'd be more yeah. human behavior through these things, not less human it's, behavior. It's the, the that's anonymous internet, internet uh, dickwad theory. It's, it's quite true. If you put people in in crowds where they're anonymous living through something else they become they it brings out sometimes it brings out the absolute worst in humanity and and uh they definitely i think steered a little bit more away from that in this film uh yeah i don't i didn't mind it i mean yeah i don't think it's probably the the most accurate way in terms of how the human condition would adopt something like this but you know i think they're making other points that that came through clear and it may have been clouded if that sure. was what they were focusing I mean, on i mean they they did have an interesting point on I actually felt like the the Bruce Willis's wife character was probably the most interesting thing of the the person who's so addicted to this their their uh, alternate persona that they cannot they cannot live in the real world and you know they have to take antidepressants to you know live with themselves when they're not in this this alternate person and I mean you you see a lot of that in stuff like you hear stories of you know World of Warcraft addiction of people cannot you can't communicate with other people outside of World of Warcraft. I mean, there are a lot of people right. who really do experience issues similar to this. And actually when this when the comic was written, it was meant to be a very much commentary on the the expansion and the popularity of MMO games like World of Warcraft. So so I, I think some of that is is driven home. So uh but now, in terms of the technology, uh one of the things I find fascinating, they they at the very beginning of the movie they use more or less real uh, video footage from YouTube and other such sources of basically current robotic efforts trying to paint the picture of, right. you know, they're trying to splash in just enough reality in the beginning so that it kind of leads into their painted reality, right. uh, their their fiction. Things like the exoskeleton projects that the military has been mm-hmm. working on, things like the robots you may see like on the, YouTube. Like the the uh, Honda University. Osmos or whatever it is. Esmo. Or yeah, Esmo. Um, so one of the things I find interesting is that this idea of a 
a robot that looks like a human, can function like a human, uh, has the the motor ability, the sensibility, all of that. Based if you if you look at the robot technology that's out there today, and especially with just amazing things being done, every time I look, just it's something else that just shocks me. Like Dean Kamen, I think is the inventor of uh, infamously the Segway, but more more well known for inventing, or perhaps more. Uh, reputable for inventing lots of different medical devices that have saved lives for the last 20 years, uh, has, since the Segway, turned his attention to building a better prosthetic arm for the military. He's got a DARPA DARPA contract to do that. And I saw recently a headline that he's preparing, or he has recently unveiled his latest iteration of this new arm, and he's literally reaching that point of a person can wear a prosthetic arm and have almost full Star Wars-like functionality right. of picking things up. You know, once the arm's attached, learn how to use it, they can pick up a bottle of water, open the cap, you know, drink from the water. I mean, you, right. we're getting to that point of where robotics do reach that Star Trek level of you lose a limb, oh, well, you know, we'll just pass a new one on, right. it, and it just integrates to your body. Right. Um, and, and all the other, these other things, I think the ability to build a robot that looks and functions like a human is within our grasp. I, I, I really think the technology is there. What's missing and where I think the innovation is yet to be seen are the things that are a little bit less obvious. And this is where I think it's kind of funny that, that humans are further behind on these two things than the robots. That is power source. How do you keep these things <laughs> autonomously powered over a long time? Hydrogen and, fuel cell. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Sh- show me the evidence. <laughs> and high-speed networks capable of transmitting this much data wirelessly <laughs> without any sort of loss or Im- oh, you, interruption. You, you, don't I think, mean, you don't think 3G could do this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I love 3G. In, in the new 4G networks, well, but well, that, that, I mean, we're talking about they had a high-resolution video right. streaming to every human on the globe. Oh, and, sen- and sensory information too, right? <laughs> yeah, and sensory information. Um, and then apparently robots that could scan all of this right. simultaneously. And it was all apparently being done wirelessly. And I don't know about you and your wireless connection, but I don't think I would trust my wireless connection <laughs> control my my persona to drive a car at yes, highway yes, speed. Yes, dri- driving a car at highway speeds, a little bit of lag, smash. <laughs> yeah. Dang it. <laughs> you like, moving along, just, buffering, just, buffering, just, explosion. What happened? <laughs> exactly. So that was, that was actually the fascinating thing to me sure. is that, you know, it has, really has nothing to do with the movie other than to say <laughs> the robot technology where I think a lot of, let's just say, mainstream audiences might think that's the real future. You know, oh, right. robots that look like humans. I think that's perfectly attainable with, with a few more decades of innovation. As long as it's plugged the into the power and, and the <laughs> network, I, I don't see getting pace. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. There are definitely infrastructure reasons that we couldn't quite do that and also you know we don't have the thing where you can just attach the thing to your head and read all your brain inputs yet but we're <laughs> we're getting there I that's mean, an interface that can be worked on yeah, I know. yeah <laughs> the, uh, the ieee <laughs> is working on that now and we'll have a draft spec <laughs> sure uh but no i actually but, actually think one of the maybe more interesting points they had from this is that it, it is basically the story of a piece of technology that was made for medical purposes and i'm not they got this more across in the comic book, and I might be inserting things that maybe the movie didn't touch on. But basically, the creator of these things was a, a handicapped guy. And the reason he invented it is so that people who are handicapped, like him, could live a normal life. And it's interesting to see that basically this t- technology never really 
becomes big until it becomes an entertainment thing. And the fact that it takes off because not handicapped people need, you know, prosthetic limbs or prosthetic bodies, but that normal people want to live in prosthetic bodies and, and have all those benefits of it. I think that's sort of an interesting statement on humanity that sometimes, it, you know, in order for a amazing technology to really come to its forefront, it has to be used for entertainment purposes in some way. So, uh, you know, it's but the re, the true reality of, of a lot of technology, especially advanced technology like this, and they touched on it in the movie, but I think they got it in the wrong order, is that the real way technology like this becomes available to the masses is that it's militarized first. I mean, That's you true. have to have military dollars. If you look at a lot of the things we, we take for granted today in technology, GPS, uh, the Internet, you know, these things that, that have become very mainstream, they were originally funded for military purposes. That's true. And if you look at what's being done in prosthetics and robotics today, generally speaking, it's being funded by military yeah. and often maybe with stuff, innocuous right. medical sidelines like tr soldiers come home without limbs. We want to you know, right. give them normal lives so yep. we're developing better robotic prosthetics. <laughs> and also we want to have you know, guys with superpower arms so they can you know, rip through steel bunkers. <laughs> Which is absolutely true. When you look at things like the, the exoskeleton projects they're working on, those are starting with military funding to say, yep. how can we have the super soldier? But then they're finding a way back to the medical and saying, right. okay, can we take somebody who's you know disabled below the waist and give them a robotic skeleton and then they can walk again? Yep. So I think in the reality of the world that we live in, war pays for these <laughs> innovations. But uh, certainly the medical impact, as we have an aging population, may perhaps find that drive to make it medical first. Maybe. But you're absolutely right. It starts – you can never predict where these things go. And I yep. think maybe that's the broad message here is once it's made, you just can't stop it. And there are a lot of unforeseen consequences right. because of that. Right. The only other thing I want to, I want to throw out there before we wrap up, um, and this is where I want to put a spoiler cam on earlier. Sure. And this is perhaps completely just my own wishing for the movie to be more intricate than it was. Yeah. Um, but in the last minutes of the movie, I was hoping for one final twist that was going to just kind of, for me, make the movie if it had happened. And I want to see if you if you can get this without me explaining it to see if you felt the same huh. way. But did you feel like you had a moment like this at the end of the movie? Uh. I didn't. Or were you so checked out by the end? I was, I was pretty checked out by the end. And also because I had read the comic book, I kind of knew what the ending of the comic book was, which actually wasn't the ending uh, of this film, quite the same. same. Uh, uh, so I wasn't as interested in looking for the twist since I already knew the, the crux of the story. Uh, yeah. But yeah, what, what was... what was kill it if you knew. So, 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 so since we're in spoiler cam, we can go ahead and say, basically, in the end, we find out there's this intricate web of of you know lies going through where the guy who's created the surrogates has been funding this assassin guy to basically try to kill everyone who has who's using a surrogate because he feels bad that he's he's basically taken humanity out of the playing field and replaced them with robots so uh that's that's the actual ending what was the, exactly and so what was the one that you thought was was going to be in there and he plays into that. So what we discover which, is that which, the, the main, if I can point out, the main guy who created them, and w may I say, this guy is probably your go-to guy. Yeah, let, for... let me say this: this it's James Cromwell, which actually is really interesting. Going back to the iRobot reference, because James Cromwell is is the guy who creates robots in iRobot. It's I was say you yeah. just you need an old guy who looks like he created robots. Apparently, you go to James Cromwell and he fills the bill. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so basically, 
in this future world, we have even though most of the world is living through surrogates, there are these communities of humans, right. the, these people that just won't buy into they're it. Become the they're led the by this very charismatic right. prophet, yeah. um, who is this black guy uh, in the movie played by I, f I forget who, Ving Rhames, I guess. If, if I'm looking if, at his if name, he was he was the guy who played in a in the Mission Impossible films as like the the tech That's guy right. in Mission Impossible. That's what I remember him as. <laughs> So he plays this prophet who's sort of leading the humans charge against bots and as far as the most of the movie goes he epitomizes the the, the you know the the you know down with the robots humans sure. rise up. And then there's this big turning point in the movie in theory if you didn't see it coming uh where the robots are raiding the human camp compound looking for this secret weapon that is essentially the the crux of what's uh become a problem for the surrogates. Right. And they they kill the prophet, and you discover the prophet is actually a surrogate himself. He's actually a robot, which is like supposed to be kind of a dum dum dum. Right. You know, it's like how's the leader of the humans a surrogate himself? Yeah. Um, and it, what we ultimately discover is that the creator of the surrogates, again, this this James Cromwell character, um, or James Cromwell playing character, is in fact was through his right. you know his behind the scenes access to be whoever he wants to be playing the prophet so he's right. kind of backhand leading the revolution against the things he created right um and then as the movie progresses to its climax he takes over the 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 um what's the name of this movie the surrogate <laughs> uh, <laughs> takes the, over. The, the robot avatar thing <laughs> like whatever we call these things in this context <laughs> uh <laughs> he takes over the surrogate of bruce willis's fbi partner right right uh He's got a female partner, and he takes over her surrogate to sort of gain the trust of the people she's around, basically to go plant his internal time bomb to, to kill all surrogates. That's basically his, his end goal. Yep. Um, and so think, you know, one thing leads to another. I'm, I'm basically giving you the whole movie yeah. here, so if, if you're still with me, the, the movie's definitely not worth seeing it's, by, it's, by now. It's, it'll, it'll be spoiled at this point, but not like it's <laughs> One thing leads to another. Uh, uh, Bruce Willis confronts... James Cromwell. James Cromwell, I think, kills himself. I had a hard time saying what happened there. Have, actually, I can't remember. That's how forgetful yeah. that was. <laughs> kills himself, and then, then Bruce Willis has like 30 seconds left to save basically his time bomb from killing all oh, humans right. and try to just make it kill surrogates, because Jake's plan was to kill all the surrogates and kill all, all the humans, humans using he thought you had right. to kill the addicts with the surrogates to get rid of the problem, and this was his whole, like, yep. you know, I want to undo what I did way of going out. Yep. So Bruce Willis then takes over the body of his partner, ends up where the bomb is, and is trying to disable it. And this leads up this is the long lead up to where I thought this twist was gonna happen. And so he's sitting there and a screen pops up and the screen is saying, you know, basically press yes to to <laughs> kill undo all humans. The, yes. <laughs> to undo the killing of all humans and to only kill the surrogates. Right. And as Bruce Willis, again, through his partner's surrogate, stares at the screen. There's this big fat guy behind him who we've seen a few times in the movie. He's oh, one of these right. guys who throughout the movie has been promoted as being, oh, no, they could never build a surrogate for me. You know, my head's too big for that. And you know, kind of and obviously he's, almost... You know, he's, he's fat and slovenly, so you think, oh, you know, it's clearly this can't be a surrogate because he's not, you know, beautiful exactly. looking. Exactly. Almost one of those sort of like too overtly a human right, to right. be a surrogate. And... They have a few of these overtures in the movie where they actually draw attention to that. And then we reach this climax point where Bruce Willis is staring at the screen, hesitating, and the fat guy is in the chair behind him because he's been handcuffed by other shenanigans throughout the movie, right. <laughs> saying, push the button, push the button, you right. got five, push the button. And then you start wondering because of Bruce Willis's hesitation, 
oh, and this is my wondering, oh, this could be a great twist. The fat guy is really the doctor, and he thought the doctor was dead, but that was actually a surrogate too. So uh, I, I was see building <laughs> this whole twist of the doctor, Bruce Willis thought the doctor uh. had killed himself. The doctor had the last laugh because somehow he'd still managed to be somewhere else, and he was surrogating through the fat guy. Uh, he basically was going to tell Bruce Willis to push the button that all ultimately executed the fat guy's plan, or the, the doctor's, the doctor's plan, plan of killing I humans. Yeah. So I was hoping for this really bizarre <laughs> twist where, like, it's like you thought the last the last facade had fallen, but then, you know, the one you never saw coming, the fat guy who... Who doesn't look like a surrogate. You know, could never be a surrogate, turned out to be. Yeah. But unfortunately, the see, movie was. See, here, here's your problem with here's the problem with your logic. That would have been clever, <laughs> and, cl- <laughs> and clearly this movie was not going for clever. <laughs> oh, and I was. I mean, I really had hoped that. I was a little disappointed when it didn't happen because then it, when it didn't happen, it kind of made that whole scene weird because it's like, why did you hesitate? The guy it's, was right there. Yeah. Telling you what to do. Well, I mean, it, you waited till point five so seconds. There, we're, I guess we're supposed to. I mean, we we're supposed to get that. You know, Bruce Willis's character once he leaves his surrogate realizes how addicted he's been to his surrogate and he's trying to live the normal life and be a human. And so he actually starts to come to sympathize with, with the, uh, the anti surrogate population, which is why they have to go through the weird, like convoluted plot point of, Oh no, we've saved all the people operating surrogates, but we're still going to let all the surrogates die. (laughs) Just in case you you didn't catch that. We've buffered the humans. It's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I didn't really catch that. I'll be completely honest. Yeah. The way I was watching this movie, I didn't catch that plot point that how they saved the humans. Just I knew that they did. Yeah. Um. But but either way, that was the one sort of twist <laughs> I had hoped could redeem. No, no that's that's the, the thinking of the movie. It's interesting. Interesting that you you say that because I actually think this film would have been a lot more interesting if you had this weird like like you don't know who's a surrogate and maybe there's like surrogates being surrogates and you have this this whole weird thing of even the people we think are humans now could be surrogates. And that actually could have been far a bit bit more interesting. So especially because we we already see that the prophet character who's supposed to be the leader of the human movement is a surrogate. That seems like it could open it up to well, any human could actually be a surrogate. So uh, right, if they'd explored that, I think it could have made the movie a little bit deeper. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> but oh, in closing, because we actually are hitting our time here, yeah. do you think that Bruce Willis uh, they shot this movie where you think he had to put on weight? to play his human self? Because I noticed, obviously, in his surrogate self, he's significantly Thinner. slimmer. Yeah. But I didn't know to what degree it was CG and to what degree I he think, probably had to play it slim. I think he probably slimmed down yeah. to play that part. I think, actually, this is an interesting point. I don't know what they did, but they I, they either CG'd or did some airbrushing, but they made all the surrogates like look really shiny and almost like a they had like a plastic sheen on them. So I assume there was some CG work there to like iron out the wrinkles and stuff in Bruce Willis's face. But uh, yeah, I I think he probably he probably slimmed up, and they used his they used his face, but added some weight to his his kind of human self body. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean that's a good question because you there's definitely know. a very distinct difference between the age that he looks playing the surrogate and the age he looks as his his quote unquote human self. And in fact, his human self is kind of where more I'd expect him at at the age he is. Sure. Um, aside from you know being a little overweight for what I know an actor would would tend to stay, but the thing I found fascinating in this is that if aside from what this surrogates movie is doing, if this reveals to Hollywood actors and actresses that that the technology is out there to go make you look <laughs> ten, fifteen, twenty years younger, 
So maybe maybe we'll start seeing of these characters, and we get to see surrogate actors, which is like exactly. great. I can come back. I can be my young self. Do what you did in that film. <laughs> exactly. It's like Bruce Willis now realizes he can look like that in a movie. When are we going to see the next like Die Hard? He's going to look younger than he did in, in the last Die Hard. <laughs> actually it's an interesting point maybe 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 the the uh philosophical and ironic part of this film will actually end up being a a complete shift in hollywood (laughs) they won't (laughs) get it (laughs) do that i I need that for my next movie (laughs) we can make it happen awesome all right well well thanks for joining us again in this episode of weekly monotony uh hope you enjoyed our uh reviews of both these films obviously not not the greatest films out there, but uh, maybe something worth seeing. Uh, definitely check back next week when I think we'll be reviewing at least Zombieland, and we might include one of the many other good films coming out next week. And I've all, as always, come back to DailyMonotony.com as often as you can to check out any of the new cool blog posts that I put up. I'm stop. I'm going to stop saying I'm going to put reviews and news stories up regularly because I, you will notice at this point that I kind of randomly decide to do what and when. All I can say is check back as often as you can. There will be new content every week to check out. And uh, until next time, I think in the words of Bruce Willis when trying out a not-so-awesome surrogate, I think we're done here. (laughs) 